just completely out of my mind it, it's it's like a parallel universe it's like the school year was a dream for me like a, a distant memory mm-hmm. for a couple of months and it just comes <laughs> rushing back all yeah. at once and it's like you're back in it the kids are up at six i'm up at four thirty. Yeah, all those little <sighs> chores and things that you just didn't do in the summer uh, are back They're with back. a vengeance right know? All of a sudden, I have to have milk in the house. I have, you know, for, so the children can eat in the morning. They, well, they like milk. That's good. You're, so yeah, they're just basically veals, little cat, baby <laughs> but veals. No milk in the summer, though. We've it's too hot. Well, but you know, it's not a, it's not an, an emergency. <laughs> like they don't need a bowl of Cheerios they're at eight a.m. Sl- in the summertime. They're going to sleep till eleven, right? Uh, and they did get comfortable going to bed late and. Um, yeah. And as they get older, they sleep later. And they probably got to school and said something like this to their teacher. And we're back. Welcome to Recovering the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads Jesus in their pursuit Christ. of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. <laughs> yeah, I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. It's fall again on the Gold Coast of Long Island, and Mike and Nat have reconvened. <laughs> Deep below the Earth's surface, nestled comfortably behind the microphones at Castle Grayskull Studios. Today, we review the Netflix documentary, Recovery Boys. All this and more today on a very, very special edition of R. M A and welcome. Would you like that segue? That was pretty. That was amazing because the kids are back. It was like we're back. Your brain's firing on all cylinders. Boom! It's because I gave you coffee. That's right. Kaboom! I don't know. I'm having a. I've been having a really hard time reengaging in this lately. In the life, in the podcast life, yeah, like it's tough because I, like I, I don't even think about it when I'm not doing it. You yeah. know, me neither. Which I, is I bad. used to be so good. Like yeah. every single day, I'd be, you know, I'd think of something and I'd have another idea and put it on a bullet point. And I'm like, I gotta get my mind back into this because yeah. this is where the important work happens. That's right. This is this is our recovery. This Matt. is it. <laughs> and, and we've been neglecting our recovery. We have. With, Will that cause a downfall? Do you think? Do you think we're we're one missed podcast episode away from, from a relapse? relapse? <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> God, I hope not. Why don't scientists trust atoms? Why? Because they make up everything. Didn't uh, see? I'm I think that was so the, fucked. They do though. It's uh, why what? was the math book sad? Why? Because it had too many problems. Ugh. This is, we're losing listeners by the dear, handful. Here. Dear Chat GPT, write me a list of bad dad jokes. And this is what I get. Nice. Uh, what do you call fake spaghetti? What? An impasta. Uh, oh, Chat GPT. Uh, why do cows have hooves instead of feet? Why? Because they lactose. Oh, lactose. and I'm lactose intolerant. <clears throat> so interesting and weird uh, time in the in the life around here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, before we get to that, I, I, we used to have a flow <laughs> to the show. We used we to did. do things in an order. Yes. So how about this? Yeah. 
Uh, you want to do the review mm. or you want to do the voicemails? Both. Okay. Well. At the same time, it'll be extremely <laughs> confusing to everyone. How about uh, you want to do the voicemail? Yeah. Let's okay. hear the voice. We've got voicemails. You've got Mail. voicemail. Here's a voicemail. Okay. Maybe it's a voice female. We shall see. I think it's a male. Oh, okay. But one can never assume these it's days. It's a voice yes. they. Mike, Nat, what's up, fellas? Hi. My name's Kevin from North Carolina. I have seven months clean from heroin, two weeks sober from alcohol. And it, it was easier for me to quit heroin over alcohol because alcohol, you can't just block the number in your phone or not drive through the alcohol side of town. Mm. But, man, the, um, the episode y'all did with Andy Grace's This Naked Mind was awesome. And that led me down a rabbit hole of a bunch of audio books. There's a couple that helped me. Um, the Alcohol Illusion by Craig Beck. Alcohol Lied to Me, Craig Beck. And then Alcohol Explained 1 and 2 by William Porter. They're great, man. I'd love to hear y'all do an episode on these if you haven't already, but they just break down the psychology of alcohol addiction, you know, because I, I need help with my spirituality, but they take the approach. You're not really powerless over alcohol, but it's, the fact it's literally poison, it's fucking disgusting, tastes like shit, and they just try to turn you off to it, you know, like breaking up with a dirty hoe of a ex-girlfriend that cheated on you a dozen Oops. times. But, da, 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 da. but, man, I have Jeez. a bad habit of only listening to y'all when I'm trying to do good because I want to be so good so bad, but I felt like if I listened to y'all more often in the dark times, I'd be in better shape because when I do listen to y'all, I do good. So you hear that, y'all? Listen to RMA more often. It's for your own fucking good, man. Damn. Peace out, guys. Love y'all. Thanks, Kevin. Nice. And he, I like he threw in the dopey uh, song. Yes. yes a, I like the way he casually little, just sort little, of yeah. want to be good so bad. Seated the dopey in there. Uh, I, I was thinking about the first step the other day. Isn't that odd that yes. I did that? Because I never think of the steps at all. But uh, I was listening to this Buddhist guy um, who, his name's Dave Smith, and he's agreed to come on the podcast, actually. Oh, really? I listened to a couple of his podcasts, and I was <laughs> like, I fucking love this guy. And he's in like Buddhist recovery, but not the Dharma recovery and all that stuff. He's like got his own thing going on. Mm. And, carving uh, his own path. Carving his own path. But what he, what he says, what he said, and, and this is a bit of a tangent, but he said, you know, a lot of these other Dharma recovery things, it, it's like they take, you know, they take Buddhism and then they sort of graft AA on top of it. Yeah. And, it began, and, and I, that was kind of my major criticism of Dharma recovery. It's like, you don't really need, the 12 steps are out there. You don't really need to take 12 steps and then graft them onto Buddhism, right? He's, he's like, you, everything you need. You can't just swap out the word God for Buddha. Right, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they're a little more sophisticated yeah. than that, but... but um, you know, the, the Buddha Dharma, you know, the teachings have everything you need in them to, to work as a recovery program. You don't need to sort of gild the lily, as it were. Mm. Um, anyway, so he was, he was talking about the first step in a talk that he did, and he said something like, um, something that all of a sudden made me realize that the way to accept the first step as a Buddhist is to replace the word, uh, what is it, what's the first step? Um, um, something powerlessness, that, uh, right? Uh, powerless over alcohol and right. that our lives have become unmanageable. You take the powerlessness and you replace it with like control because 
I can really identify with this idea that I want to try and control everything and that I can control the world around me. And that's what causes me a lot of suffering is this idea that I can make things bend to my will and do things that I want to do. But really the issue with alcohol was a lack of control. Mm. And I was trying to so hard to control, but I was not able to control. So if you replace, and I, and I maybe it's just a semantic difference, but it was like this little light went on in my head. Mm. I'm like, ah, it's all about relinquishing control. Well, that's what they talk about, that giving up your will. I mean, will and control. Is Are they the same similar. thing, though? Oh. See, I don't know. Probably. Because, you know. Depends on how you spin it. Willpower is just <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm not going to do this thing. And, and your willpower can be exhausted, right? Because, I mean, studies have shown that you can only exert your will to do or not do something for a certain period of time before you become mentally fatigued and it doesn't work anymore. Right, if but, you're just but, holding on with your will. But if you if you phrase it as sort of letting go of the idea that you need to control something, is that exerting willpower or is that the opposite? Is to me, it that sort sounds of letting like, go? That sounds like acceptance. Okay. Right? Like yeah. you're accepting the things I cannot change. Everybody out there, say it along <laughs> with me. Change the things we can. And what's the next part? Yes, Have the, the wisdom, wisdom to know the, the difference. difference. Yeah. I mean, so to me, that sounds like acceptance, accepting that there are things completely out of your control and to obsess over attempting to control them is futile. Yeah. And gets Resistance is, is futile, futile, right? Join the Borg. Yes. I don't know. We're hiring. So I got a, we also got another one from. Wait, I wanted to say one thing. Yeah, go. Oh, he had a really good, um, he brought up a great point though about, he said it was harder for him to quit alcohol than heroin yeah i had the exact same um i had the exact same problem i was able to uh, to kick heroin uh in about 2013 through uh suboxone and treatment and uh doctors and i was good for a while um and then what i found was my relapse and what led to my eventual downfall again was alcohol yeah because i would literally be able to pick it up on my way to work I wasn't calling some shady dude. I was seeing some shady dude at a Seven <laughs> Eleven, and it, it it is. It's a lot more difficult to say no to alcohol than you know. Once you separate yourself from the world of uh, you know drug dealers and things, uh, alcohol is the easy uh, easy get. It is an easy get, and which you know, and it, and it's unfortunate that it is so easy because again, not to go be all wonky on studies, but a lot of studies have shown that access. Uh, is one of the keys to successfully recovering. Like if you, so geographic, a uh, geographic cure, uh, you know, in the AA world is is typically doesn't work, right? You because wherever you go, there you are. You yeah. bring yourself with you. But but if you take yourself away, you know, it, it can work to some degree because if I move from the Bronx where I can find it really crack really easily on every street corner mm -hmm. to the Alaska in a cabin in the woods where there's no crack. I'm not going to do crack. There's a good chance right? you won't find crack. So it'll yeah. it'll set me up for uh, to to get to the beginning of the path, sort of the trailhead, if yeah. you will. Gets right? your head clear, gets, gets you away from it. Which which can, is the whole yeah. you know idea behind rehab, I right. suppose. And right? recovery you, boys. Yeah, yeah, you take yourself away from the people, places, and things, and you put yourself you know at the trailhead of the trail to recovery, of the journey to recovery. Right. Um. So. I got another one. Okay. From Russell. Remember Russell? We played his his uh, message last time. Russell shows muscle and it had a that was a Yankees home run call, I had to say it, sorry. It's Russell. 
Russell shows muscle. That ball is high. Oh, well, this is germane for this upcoming weekend. So, is, is, so this is germane or it's, it's, it's Russell. Russell? Oh, not germane. It's Russell's friend, okay. Germaine. Okay, great. Hey, Mike and Nat. It's Russell H., a.k.a. Ruffigus from shitty Pittsburgh. Hey, if any of the monsters are going to be in Pittsburgh this weekend, I don't know why anybody would come to Pittsburgh for vacation. But on September 16th, there's a recovery walk. It starts at 9 a.m. And I hate to say the guy's name like this, but Mark Cuban's brother is going to be one of the speakers there. Um, supposed to be like a day full of fun. So anybody's going to be in Pittsburgh, there you go. Thanks, guys. Hope you're well. So if anybody out there is within driving distance of Pittsburgh and wants to hang out with Mark Cuban's brother, whose name I forget, whose book we reviewed on the oh, show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did that guy's <laughs> He was book. the lawyer. Yes. Who, you know, um, the 16th is this upcoming weekend, so go to Schittsburg. Cool. Have a good time. Thanks, Russell. Um, it's weird. Pittsburgh is the only city that I went to during the pandemic hmm. uh, for work. Interesting. I, I, they were open for business, or mm, I wouldn't say open for business. I stayed downtown, and and there was a lot of like um, it, like tumbleweeds blowing through the city. There was a lot of uh, yeah. uh, homeless folks wandering around. Everything was closed. The hotel was closed. Like you know, it was a very weird scene. Um, but I got a couple of good runs, and they have a nice uh, path along the. Mm. along the river there and you know back in pandemic days people would see you and they would like run the other direction which i, <laughs> really? I, I always loved um yeah i don't know i don't i have nothing bad to say about pittsburgh so go steelers okay or don't i don't know <laughs> what are the steelers it's a football team yeah yeah they're football do we have any uh reviews to read yeah we do have a review <clears throat> um so uh we always say you know please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that was part of the typical preamble that right. we neglected. To Any read. of you that haven't done that, just go do that. Yeah, because it's a lot of fun. It makes us feel better. It gets to show ranking a bit better, and we use it for content. Okay. Oh, don't go to our website, though, because it's fucked. We're working on it. <laughs> I feel like I've been <laughs> saying that for like the entire time we've had this pause. It's being worked on. Uh-huh. I have the best people on it, I swear. Okay. I'm not... You'll see. I'll show you all. This website <laughs> High is High on gonna, your list of priorities, it's Nat. Gonna I, I got it. knock your socks <laughs> off. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> uh, this is from, uh, this is five stars from Chris Cruz G. I don't know if that's his real last name, so I'll leave it out. Well, you just put it in. Well, the first two. Oh, okay. That, I, I, that's like a double. All right. Movie. I didn't realize there was more after the G. I'm sorry. Um, he says, oh, I honestly love the show. I appreciate the more secular approach to recovery. Mike and Nat do a nice job of offsetting the other person's personality. Hmm. Uh, like a good marriage. Um, it's fun, and they give thoughtful and interesting insight on the topics they discuss. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. We and, appreciate uh, that. Well, that's the last one we've gotten. We'll send you a pair of dopey socks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dave will send you a pair of dopey socks. Yeah, um, speaking of dopey, DopeyCon is coming up, and um, I'm definitely going to be there, guys. Uh, tons of dopes from uh, the Dopaverse and the Doposphere will be uh, colliding with the Monsterverse. So if any Monsters are planning on going, um, I wish I could like read off a date uh, and place. But um, <laughs> if you know, you know. You go to Dopey uh, Podcast and um, and check that out because I'll definitely be there. It'll be really cool to meet some people. Um, I met Jen Lolly last year. That was really cool. A couple other people. So it was fun. 
Nat will definitely be going to DopeyCon. Yeah. Mike, Mike, probably not. <laughs> Mike's not going. It's at, like the Church of the Holy Apostle or something like that. But it's yeah, a lot of fun. Good I'd times. I'd be afraid I'd burst into flames. Great old days. Um, so as long as we're doing that kind of thing, uh, the um, we put together a Shatterproof team. Yes. For the walk, the Shatterproof walk in New York City on the 28th of October. Oh, cool. Uh, Liz may be coming down. Is that in New York? Feeling. Yeah, it's in New York. I hope you... I'm doing that, right? Attending. I'm going, right? Uh, you should. You should ask my wife. <laughs> you should. As, Maybe my wife will go too. Yeah, let's. Maybe all the wives will go. Bring the wives. <laughs> all of them. The first wives club. Yeah, and then maybe we could go to Katz's after for, for uh, yeah pastrami or something. If you guys haven't had a Katz's pastrami sandwich. Yeah. It's anyway, uh, if you go to uh, Shatterproof, search for the Recovering the Middle Ages team. Uh, if you show up, I'll give you a free T-shirt. Just. Uh, no guarantee it will fit. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. That's, I don't know. I have a lot of t-shirts. Let's just, so yeah. Nobody's gonna, buying them, so I'm giving them away. I've got a t-shirt cannon I was thinking about bringing. To the walk? Yeah. And just <laughs> fire it at people on the side <laughs> of the road. Got gets New York City these days, you know, wouldn't be out of place. <laughs> just like forcibly make fans. So uh, anyway, come down. It's for a good, it's for a good cause. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have Shatterproof's copy in front of me today, but... Um, and I'm going to be wearing rollerblades. Are you? Are you going to wear, like, booty shorts I, and, uh, you know, gonna, do the whole 90s? I'm going to uh, grease up. Yeah, get the, the mesh shirt. Get a, a visor and... Rollerblades were big for a while, weren't they? Like, they were. in the 90s? It was like very I, cool. I used to go running in Central Park when I lived in the city, I remember, and, and all these like, guys... I mean, I don't want to comment on their sexuality because no, I don't that know would what be, it was. That but, would be inappropriate. But yeah, based on, you know, New York fashion sense, <laughs> certainly seems as though, well. They fit into a scene, you might say. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but boy, it looked like a great workout because they had buns of steel, all of them. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Yes. <laughs> I used to envy their buns of steel. I'm, I'm just running my flabby ass around Central Park and I'm w- watching these guys. I'm like, Is, do you get that ripped by, uh, by rollerblading? And I'm like, no, it's probably like, Crystal meth and like hours in Dave Barton's gym. Yeah, it's meth and steroids, you know, that, that does the trick. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Uh, I should probably read the advertisers. Yes. Thing, right, because we have an advertiser. We have so. a very exciting message from Soberlink. <laughs> if you guys have something better to do for the next 30 seconds. Here we go. go don't do it. Listen to this ad. Uh, when, you <laughs> when you know better... You do. I, I, I'm glad nobody from Sober like listens to this fucking do. podcast. Here we go. Ready? Serious faces. Ready? When you know better, yes. you do better. But sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available to you. Mm-hmm. As two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. Uh, if you're struggling to get sober, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help you in your recovery. It's not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. Damn right. Small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids. <laughs> I know. I, something about that line. It gets me every time. And, I, and I'm, I'm always looking for the joke in there. I and know, I can't so find good. it. Um, Sorry. Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and wanking (laughs) 
towards your recovery goals. Mike's read. This system would have been a game changer for Nat and I during early recovery. We've got to send the money back. <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> when every bit of accountability helps, stay on message. Yes. Nat's read, it says right there. Yeah. <laughs> I really can't think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships. Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> So make 2023, or at least what's left of it, a memorable uh, one. It's never too late to start. I just made that up. It's www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages to sign up and receive $50 off your device. And here's a, that's www.soberlink.com slash forward slash middle hyphen ages. Um, middle hyphen. If you guys just all go there and fill out the form, right? You don't have to... <laughs> You have to buy one, but if you go and fill out the form, like the Soberlink bean counters really like that. I think that's considered fraud, Mike. I don't know if that's advisable. But then they'll keep paying us. <laughs> well, not that it's a lot of money, but you know, every little bit helps. Well, look, here's where I have to save the ad every single week. Okay. Guys, all kidding aside, Soberlink. <laughs> yes, it's, do it. Do it. No, I always remind everyone the great G Money Smooth, who just celebrated his soberversary, a uh, big part of the show. Yeah, he's babe. doing great. But part of the way he got back on track and how he made his family feel more comfortable with his recovery was Soberlink. That's the only reason we do this ad. It's because we heard about it through him. It worked for him. <laughs> it's nothing It'll, to do with the money. It will work for you. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Give Soberlink a try. If I had, if in early recovery I had been aware of such a thing, I, I might have used it for accountability purposes because it really is, that's what it's for, you know? Yeah. And it's a good idea. And you can look forward to using it in front of your kids. <laughs> My my personal belief is you should have one of these things on every car. And every teenager who gets a driver's permit Yo, should have to have a sober link you device. You should have to have some dead ser dead ass serious right now. Yep. Every kid who gets a license from like 18 to 25, at least, yeah. you should be made to freaking blow in a, a sober link device. I, I, seriously. Can you imagine how many like lives would be saved? Yeah. Like, just saying. Brilliant idea. I think it's a great idea. And there there actually has been some discussion about putting these on new cars. But, you know, the alcohol industry and lobby is, uh, of course, would never allow such They're like, thing. what about marijuana? Yeah. You can't test for that with a blower. Yeah, but then you just drive 20 miles an hour mm. if you move at all. Mm. Um, I'm just grunting now. You mm. <laughs> That's mm. <laughs> participating in the <laughs> dialogue. Uh, so I, a couple interesting things happened to me recently. Oh, no. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to tell me? I'm going to. Well, I'm going to tell the listeners. Okay, they may be interested, what even happened? if you're not. Any, um, what is? Well, what the first happened? thing I wanted to, to mention was, you know, we dropped my son Dimitri off at his new college. Oh wow, back to school, Oneonta State. No kidding, his, my partner went to Stone. They call it Stoneyonta. Did you know that? I did know it, that. I just and it, it caused my wife and I some consternation, like uh, when we brought him up there, that he was just going to spend. Um, you know, his whole time just drinking and getting fucked up. Instead, he's going to be smoking out of a bong, watching <laughs> Quantum Leap reruns in his dorm room. Sounds like Mike. That's what I did. Experience. <laughs> it's exactly where I was. Uh, well, you know, he had a really bad experience at University of Scranton last year, and I, bad just because we put him in a single because he had you know the ADHD yeah. and stuff, and that ended up being the, totally the wrong move because he did because you wasn't able to meet anybody, yeah. and he never went out, and, and you know. We, we can kind of see where he is on Find My iPhone. And, you know, last year it was like, 
Where's Dimitri? He's in his room. Where's Dimitri? Uh-huh. He's in his room, you know? And That's so we drop him off this time. And this time he's in a, he's in a quad. So it's like two people on one side, two people on the other mm. side, and then there's a room in the middle. Yeah, those suites. Those yeah. are great. So uh, he meets his roommate. Uh, seems like a nice kid. They shake hands. You know, the guy's across the hall. We leave, and we're like, where's Dimitri? He's not in his room. He's out. And he was out every single night yes (laughs) and he's made a whole bunch of friends that's awesome and he's having the greatest time that's so cool not doing any schoolwork, but you know i think we can still salvage the semester it's early enough but and and there's a reason this is germane to the to the program here's germane again fuck i overuse vocabulary you love this guy (laughs) (laughs) anyway um he decides that he's going to rush a frat. No. Yes. Wow. Which I don't know what that means since I was never in a frat, but I assume that means you go to all these parties. Actually, this is what it means because he yeah. told me. It's a lot of drinking. You go to all the parties, there's a lot of drinking, and then you apply to the frat, and then they give you a bid, which means you are then a pledge, which yes. means you have to do all the weird things to become a frat boy. A brother. I guess. <laughs> I guess. You become a brother. So, what is your impression mm. of what happens when you bid to a fraternity? Well, I've kind of cheated here because I pledged a fraternity. Did you? Yes, I did. Really? Did not finish the pledge because of a number of reasons, but I went through the bid process. Huh. I went through pledging for about, it was almost a month, and it just wasn't ending, and... um when spring break came along and I was sure we were going to get in right before spring break. And I had come to loathe the brothers in this for like, <laughs> by the time I got to spring break three weeks, weeks into being tortured basically and not sleeping. And I was like, if, I'm, if we're not getting in before spring break, fuck this and fuck these guys. <laughs> Cause I don't even want to be friends with them anymore. Right. And we didn't, they're like, so you know, when you get back from spring break, you know, wear your pin everywhere you go. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> and that's when I just took a walk. I'm like, I am not doing that. It's a lot of like sleep for me. It was a lot of sleep deprivation, memorizing these phony like traditions that they made up for their fraternity. It was a bunch of bullshit. You're just like, you know, do like cleaning up the frat house. We weren't a lot. Interestingly, the pledges were barred from drinking. Aha. A hundred percent not allowed to that drink. That is what I wanted to say. Yes. That his and, his pledge is that he cannot drink for six weeks. It's a torture though. And I'm like, what kind of fraternity makes you not drink for six weeks? They're torturing you when you're pledging. That's the whole point. Oh. It's it's like they're putting you in situations that look like a lot of fun, but you're the person cleaning up. You're like the bitch. Every time a brother would walk in the room, whether you knew them or not, you were supposed to stand up and say, hello, Mr. Mike R. Sir. And you'd have to recite it in order of when they graduated. Like, there's all this bullshit they make you memorize. I mean, it wouldn't be for me, but I have to say I was shocked to hear that this no no drinking was, was, was a part of it because my impression of fraternities is that, you know, they make you drink like a gallon of, uh, of vodka and then eat like live fish and shit like that. Well, once you get in... Yeah, that night, you know, because, you yeah. know, I, you know, he's not supposed to talk about what, what they make him do. Right. right it's a big secret. Right. Like, so, but, but, uh, <laughs> according to Aaron, who talked to him yesterday, like there's a lot of lifting involved, like, um, you know, weights. Yeah. Like they have to like do feats of strength or yes. some shit. And, uh, and, um, they have to wear like suit and tie everywhere yeah. and stuff. So, so yeah. he didn't have his suit. We were dropping him off at school. We're like, "Do you want your suit?" He's like, "Oh, my suit." 
And now, of course, he needs a suit. He doesn't have one. He goes to the Salvation Army yesterday and spent 11 bucks on a suit. Nice. Bought a suit and a pair of shoes. That's a nice But uh, Okay, so here I am thinking that the... Okay, so he, jo- he also joins the frat that has the reputation as having the highest GPA on campus. Okay. Which that, is going to be a problem for him. Well, maybe he'll <laughs> keep him up. That's what I said. That could be great. Yeah. Like, Ho- hopefully that lights a fire under his ass for him to start doing doing and more work. I, I think fraternities are not what they used to be after so many kids like died and so many fraternities were like, you know, discontinued because of like horrific, you know, crimes and drug dealing yeah. and rapes and things. So I think to these days, the colleges, I'm hoping, um, like the, the fraternity I pledged is not part of, you know, that college anymore because mm. a few years after some horrible shit went down and it was really bad and they're like, that's it. So I think it's probably less um, horrific compared to like the eighties, but I mean, I would hope so, but uh, it could be really great and it could be, you know, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it really wasn't a part of my college experience that, you know, the first couple of years I went to Fordham, there was one fraternity that Fordham allowed to exist uh, on why are you looking at me with that look while you have your hand on your pants? I'm fixing my, my <laughs> pants. I'm dropping. Okay, you've distracted me I'm now. I'm sorry. Um, I was gazing into my eyes. But I, uh, so I went to a couple of those frat parties, but the, the fucking rapey energy was just mm. so over the top. I was, was like, this much. is making me uncomfortable. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like I was worried, but I was <laughs> worried for the girls that were there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm. uh, It's a nest for predators. Yeah, I guess so, but. You know, the kids these days aren't like. I, I look bad. at a picture yesterday he sent of his himself and all the pledges, and they're all wearing like suits and they're standing there. And I'm like, what a nice bunch of young men. And yeah. I'm like, this isn't the kid I dropped off at school, you know. <laughs> so I'm hoping, I'm make hoping him against hope, you know, that this. But he he said uh, we spoke to him last week before the the, the pledging stuff started. He was like. Um, Man, he's like, only out this bed for my health. Because he'd been out every night till like one o'clock in the uh, morning partying during the rush stuff. So rush you get to party once it's once you start after yeah. midnight, that's it. Jesus yeah. Christ. That's it. It's rough, man. Yep. I don't know. Mm. Oh, it's cool. So I'm, was, I'm glad it sounds like he's in at least a spot where he can, you know, meet some people, have a little fun, and maybe that'll all work in his favor. I you know, know, but like, you know, I worry about the other extreme <clears> too, like you know, once the once the pledging is over and they start in with the real drinking, you know, is he going to be able to balance it? I certainly never could. There, there are kids out there that somehow manage to yeah smoke a lot of weed, drink a lot of booze, and, and become still president. Get grades and look at George W. Bush. Well, yeah, he became was, president. Didn't, he did. Didn't he was he? in Skull and Bones, I think. I mean, he just quit drinking at age forty. Good right? idea. Yeah, hmm. or earlier even is a good idea, but. uh Dead silence. Dead silence. I was just thinking about the Munster Mash in San Francisco. Yeah. Which is also happening. Uh, I'm going. I booked my ticket. You're going to, yes. the, to the West Coast I'm going Munster to the West mash. Coast Munster Mash. That's so cool. Mash. What is the Munster Mash? Uh, it's basically just a couple days wandering around San Francisco with uh, Grant, me, uh, I think Charlie's going too. Oh, cool. Actually, yeah. Uh, and I think that's it for now. But if anybody else wants to get on that train, I mean, uh, it's not too late. 
Uh, it's really nothing formally organized. Uh, just rather get together and do some hiking and see the sights in San yeah. Francisco. I'm also taking Jack to a couple of uh, colleges while I'm there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm like, Jack, you want to see Stanford? You're not going to get in, but I'll show it to you. <laughs> so you can, <laughs> might as you know. well take a look. Yeah, might as well look. Kick the know. tires. Uh, so, yeah. So that's the over Veterans Day weekend. So anybody that's looking for something to do, so yeah, you're kind of on your own with transport and hotels, but we're just going to meet up on Saturday, do a thing, and then meet up on Sunday and do another thing. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Things are starting to... I've got so much on my personal life update. I'm almost thinking that I should table it till next week because we're running a little late and we've got a lot to get to with this um yeah with this documentary i just have one other thing i have i have to say yes please so this weekend this past weekend uh i i'm looking at you know the landmark theater in port washington yeah by the way your buddy martin sexton's playing there in a couple weeks or something yep so um i see an ad for the zen tricksters and the zen tricksters are a grateful dead cover band that goes back to the late 1980s, when there were no Grateful Dead cover bands. Mm. They used to play at a place called the Right Track Inn in Freeport every Saturday night for five bucks. Wow. And then they played at Teddy's over here, which is now Wild Honey, but used to be Teddy's, right. uh, on Sunday nights, the Jeff Matson band. Anyway, Jeff Matson, who was a founding member of the Zen Tricksters, they used to be called the Volunteers. Anyway, he is now the lead guitar player in the Dark Store Orchestra, which is a rather... I've well known, one, yeah. yeah, well well known dead cover man that tours around the country recreating Grateful Dead shows, oh, wow. song for song. That's um, cool. Yeah, and they they sell out places like the the Capitol Theater in Port Chester and wow. places like that. Uh, so when I saw Zen Tricksters there, I, you know, it, I got bitten by the nostalgia bug because I used to go to those shows all the time when I was a kid. When I was a kid, but I was also on a lot of drugs <laughs> and, and, dr- and drunk most of the time when I'd go to those shows. So I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. And then I, I started thinking, have I ever actually been t- since since I got sober to a Grateful Dead related yeah. show? And I, I haven't you? I don't think I have. I feel like you went to Dead and Company at some point. Not sober. Maybe it- I had plans to go, and oh. I just kind of blew it off. And you know, the pandemic was in there. Right. And- right. Wow. So. I buy tickets with, and Erin agrees to go. She wasn't paying attention when I asked her. Because <laughs> then on the day of the show, she's like, I agreed to do what? Yeah, it's usually when you call me and go, yeah. Can you almost, that yeah. almost happened. Um, so I buy the tickets. I think I'm getting two seats. And then I show up and it's a general admission show. Um, they took all the seats out of the front and it's just a big dance floor. Uh and I didn't know this. And apparently neither did some of the other septuagenarians who bought, thought they were they bought seats because there was a guy standing next to me with a walker who was like, where is my seat? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you don't have one, bro. None of us have seats. <laughs> so we're, it's like the Yes Show. We had everybody with walkers and canes. I mean, this was a, this, this crowd taxed slightly younger. Like when I say that, I mean like mostly people in their 50s mm. and early 60s. And there was a smattering of 40s. And one girl who I have to, guess was in her 30s wow at least based on the amount of drugs that she <laughs> seemed to have taken do you think she got lost or uh, she was, yeah. no i mean there was there was a few younger yeah. folks it was a weird crowd though because it was like port washington yeah saturday night a band that only plays one-offs now they don't really exist anymore they just whenever they it's like a big reunion. all are home together yeah. i guess they go out and do a show uh, and you know they have a like a curfew there because like so shows have to end at like ten thirty. Oh, or the neighborhood, like yeah, yeah, it's very swanky. So, uh, so I go on the rail, which is the front, like because I've to you right up front, right up front. I'm standing there, and the band is right in front of me. Nobody else in front of me. So 
the they start playing. It's great. I'm dancing around and then uh, having a great time. By the way, yeah. uh, and not high. This is a new thing for me, having a good time going out and not being not- drunk because. I was going out a lot last couple of years, really begrudgingly. I wasn't into yep. it. I was just like, oh, I, I don't want to do it. this. I don't want to sense it. Yeah. You were like angry. To, mm. Not, and not like, that I wanted to drink. I just didn't think I was going to have a good time. And then right. it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I didn't have a good time. Um, you got what you wanted. But, you know, ever since I went to my sister-in-law's wedding, I was and had a good time. I'm like, well, maybe I can have a good time going out. So I, that's why I kind of bought the ticket because I wanted to see. <laughs> test it out. To take the ride. And like, what better than, than a dead show to sort of test the ride. Um, so we went out, we went out to, to dinner in Port Washington before. Nikkei of Peru, remember? They used yeah, to have a thing. They, they have got a one place. And, yeah, and it's even better. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I go and, and going through a few songs and, and the place really got crowded. And there's like old people smoking pot in there and like getting the security is like wagging fingers. And I'm like, Oh, this is kind of neat, you know? And, uh, and then I'm standing there and I, and I feel this like tap on my shoulder and this, this woman in her thirties just kind of muscles through, uh, me and Aaron and like stands right in front of me. And I'm like, what the fuck? And, uh, I'm looking at her. I'm like, it's, it's like total tour rat. Like she's yeah. got the, the, Literally bells on her ankles and uh, feathers in her hair, like this the is tattoos and like this. She reeks of patchouli and body odor nice. and stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's like you don't see that on Long Island, uh, you know, outside of like the shows at the Coliseum and stuff. But anyway, she gets in. She excuse me a second and and like um, holds up her phone and starts Instagram live Instagramming, and uh, the, she's like screaming at the bass player and. The, and he looks at her and he like recognizes her and he gives her the smile that makes me think that she's been at these shows before. It's not her first. Yeah. Rodeo. Not her first rodeo. And she, she kind of knows this guy. And then he was like trying to kind of ignore her uh. after that, but she was just getting all like, like nutty and she was very twitchy and she was like doing the fucking uh. wash machine, grateful dead dance, uh. spinning around. That's and horrible. you know, and uh, me and Aaron are like looking at each other and fucking cracking up because she's so clearly like wasted on some kind of hallucinogen. I, I couldn't figure out what kind it was, whether it was acid or ecstasy or something. Probably mushrooms. Maybe it was mushrooms. That's you cool. know, I don't know. But um, anyway, so she's she's like doing her whirly gig thing, and um, you know, at one point, like she opens up this tiny amount of space, and Aaron just pulls me in. <laughs> And I got kind of elbow this chick to the side. And so she kind of bounces over and then, <laughs> then uh, kind of moves down uh, along the front row, like irritating people as she's going. Uh-uh. And uh, I don't know. I hate to like, you know, mack on my, my deadhead sisters, but you know, Man. it was a bit much for, for the venue and for the scene. Um, she's leaning. Maybe I'm just brand. getting old or like, I'm trying to think like if this had been like five or six years ago and I had had like seven or eight pints, like would it have bothered me at all? Probably not. Probably like, not. Go sister. Yeah. yeah shake man, it. Live it. <laughs> and then at the set break, last thing I'm going to say, like ooh, during the set break, as soon as the band goes off stage, this very sweaty man came up to me and without asking my permission, gave me a hug and then explained that, he was recent. He was very drunk, and explained that he was recently in Santa Monica, and he saw a guy on the beach with a sign that said "Hugs for Free," and he thought that was really cool. So now he just goes around hugging people. Oh, yeah, isn't that like, special? Aaron was like, "If that guy put his arm around me, I would have <laughs> need him in the balls." I need a tetanus shot. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, and and I but I didn't feel at all tempted to drink or use drugs, which at a fucking dead show I always get that. 
See, that's great. That's you know? like you st- even after four years of sobriety, it's still you're you're still learning about yourself. I'm still learning about myself, what I can tolerate. Like, and I'm sort of watching it like from a third person. Sometimes I'm like looking at myself, going, "Huh, I'm in this situ- situation, and I haven't once considered sneaking a drink, or yeah. or wished I had a drink, right. or you know, uh, when I have some stressful situations like this morning." just for like work and stuff, it's like, I don't want to run away. Uh, it's like my, my first instinct is to go towards it and try and fix it or yeah. make it work. And, um, and that's amazing. It's, like it happened over time and now you can enjoy things like going out. But the thing that really blows my mind is like, even, you know, I used to think that a year was a lot of fucking sober time. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? I like would think people about have a year. A year. Like, wow. And, and then, then you realize like as you, the more you keep going, the, the better it gets. Like the more you start to become comfortable in your own skin and yeah. the, the better you feel about yourself in different situations. Yeah. You know, you, you start to trust yourself a, a little bit. It's almost like the first five years is like phase one, you know, and then like, yeah. who knows what's coming for that. I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen the next, you know, well, that's why years. maybe they say you get your marbles back in AA after you get your five years and people right. will hand people a bag of marbles. Uh, is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. So maybe there's some uh, wisdom in the old bromides. Yes. <laughs> bromides. Yes. So you like the, the word bromide. I do. You do. It's germane to our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, so speaking of short amounts of sober time, yes, interesting uh, documentary we yeah. watched. Now this is a really, um, mo- you know, moving on. And guys, I will catch you up I, next week. I have a lot of crazy stuff happening. Okay. Uh, personally, the kids are doing a lot of crazy, like interesting things. It'll and, be the episode of Nat. Yeah, and uh, I just I don't want to take up any more of our audience's good time I'm with sorry. all of my. I, did I monopolize the conversation? No, that was good. Usually, I would try and one up you and do another thirty <laughs> minutes on myself, but I do have to get us um, moving because I got work and you have work and I have work. And, uh, my shirt smells like bo. It's weird. Yeah, I've been smelling something on myself lately. Like I cat, I'm like, is that me? Do you ever do that? You're like something yeah. like right now. You're like, I'm smelling around. I'm like, did the cat piss on the couch? Right. And I'm smelling the couch. I'm like, maybe I smell like cat. But like I don't know. I just found this shirt like in my drawer. Maybe I didn't wash it. I don't smell Shit. it. Sorry. Okay. Good. And the monsters don't smell. Do you guys smell anything? I don't think they can smell anything. But this documentary, I'm glad that that you brought this one up for this time because this was one of those documentaries that came out during um, a particularly like um, interesting time in my recovery. I was clean and I was just consuming and devouring everything I possibly could on documentaries, books, mm. shows, movies. I just got into this like overly consuming like recovery literature movie. In any case, so this was one of them. And, uh, and I really loved this. I remember when I first watched it, I really identified with what these guys were going through. It reminded me of some of the situations I found myself in in early recovery. And going and watching it again uh, for this show, it was weird. It was like a transport. Like I could almost transport myself back into that mindset. Yeah. And, and I was just like jaw dropped about like, wow, like I can't believe I was that dare I say powerless mm. um, uh, it, it, in fa- in the face of all of the obvious bad choices that no logical or rational person would make. But in that headspace, I would make the wrong choice every single time. 
Well, like a lot of these guys. Yeah, did. and it just blew my mind. So maybe we should tell the folks that what? Recovery Boys. It's a Netflix documentary. Yes, it's directed by a woman named Elaine McMillan Sheldon, who also directed Heroin, Heroin. Yeah, I've seen that That's one. That's another good one. I have not watched that one, but uh, she sort of specializes in doing documentaries on uh, Appalachia and recovery issues, and she's got one out on coal miners that's apparently pretty good that I'd like to watch because I kind of like her style. Uh, it, yeah. was, it was released in 2018, and it basically it follows the story of four guys uh, as they try to rebuild their lives and recover from opioid addiction at a uh, farm-based rehab facility in West Virginia called Jacob's Ladder. Yes. And Jacob's Ladder was started by uh, a doctor, Dr. Kevin Blankenship, who he was a emergency medical uh, medicine physician. And, you know, in, the, in that capacity, he watched firsthand what happened with the opioid crisis in West Virginia, people coming into the ER, you know, overdosing and everything like that. And then his own son uh, um, became an opioid addict, and he was recovered two years at the, at the time in the movie. But that was a, an additional impetus for him to, um, to create this, this Jacob's Ladder uh, he, he was envisioning a rehab program that was not the traditional recovery center. He wanted a place that treated individuals holistically that focused not on the physical aspect of addiction, but also on psychological healing and personal growth. And very important to that was the farm setting because mm. um, the, the rehab is located on a farm. and Equine therapy. Not exactly. Is that what that is, <laughs> sort of? There are horses, but there's also pigs, chickens, all kinds of things. And the guys like work on the farm. Uh, as part of their part of their recovery, right? Pork um, therapy. It's, <laughs> it's you know work, community, and nature. Um, you know, and you know that that's kind of a different different approach than yeah. a lot of places. And I always love those the, the idea of those things when I see a documentary about it or it, it's in a book or something, and I go, I really romanticize like horse therapy, all of that yoga, stuff. like you, yeah. you're, you're in your worst state in, in addiction and you just get transported to some farm in like Montana <laughs> and the guys are all decked out and they're like, they're cold gear and they're waking up at 5am and pushing big bales of hay and milk. And it just looks, I'm like, man, well, that, that's a great scene where one yeah. of the, one of the guys, uh, one of the um, guys in recovery, his name is rush. And he's, he's basically, picking up huge bales of hay yeah, that yeah. come spitting off this tractor. And he goes, yeah, you know, he's my Dr. Favorite. Blankenship asked me if I wanted to go for a hayride. And this isn't quite, well, quite what I had in yeah. mind. You know? Yeah. That guy's the, he's my favorite. Rush, the, yeah. the big guy. I like that yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, but it, it's, it's really interesting because there's a lot of, tw- it's a lot of 12 step, right? There's a lot of NA meetings and there's a lot of AA meetings. And, uh, but as a corollary to that, you know, there's the work on the farm. And and the thing that I thought was really nice is, and I don't know if this was just, they were just showing it this way for the documentary, but it seemed to have a lot of what um, Evan, what was Evan's last name? I don't remember. From we America. Oh, um, Evan Haynes. Evan Haynes said, uh, you know, at Oro Recovery, they treat everybody that comes in with unconditional positive regard. Mm. Um, none of this like yelling at you or trying to break you down or any of that telling you you're an asshole. Like there was a lot of love in this place and a lot of, a lot of hugging and a lot of, you know, like instead of telling somebody you've, you were a fuck up, you fucked up. It's just kind of like, well, here's the, you made some bad choices. Here's the things that 
came from those choices and let's figure out how to move on and do, do something positive out of it. You know, it was a lot of positivity there. And it sounds great, but it didn't appear to really work for most of the guy. Well, here's the thing. Like, I love the idea of that. And it's what I always wanted when I was at these screamy recovery things with douchey counselors that are, you know, treat you like a piece of shit. And I was like, man, I wish I could be in one of those lovey-dovey, but would that have worked for me? I mean, maybe I needed some abuse. Mm, nobody nobody needs abuse. <laughs> Not abuse, but yeah, abuse. A little bit of like, hey, you're making a bad decision instead of, well, it's your decision. And you know if what, it's, no matter what, it's a good decision because it's yours. Don't you know when you're making a bad decision? Well, like, so then what's the point? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't question that part of the methodology. Yeah. I question the 12-step part. I think yeah. that's less effective. But like if they weren't doing, um, and I was just thinking about it because the, the truth is, yeah, it's like all 12 step and, and we're not like, you know, we've all talked about the, um, the recovery rates in 12 step that's reported. It's like five out of a hundred type of thing. But if they didn't have all of those free resources, like an NA meeting to go to an AA meeting, a gamblers and whatever, what would they be doing? Smart recovery meetings, but Dharma recovery meetings. But those who, are also free. But who would, there's nothing near them to do that. Well, and I think you, I think you sort of touched on what the real issue is, is these, these are all folks from the local community who are attending a rehab in their local community. They don't have options. He would have had to invent it. So when they are discharged back into the community, it's not like they're, you know, they're going right back to where they were, right? Right back to the center of the opioid epidemic. And these are all heroin addicts, Yeah, you know, and there's one character in the movie, his name was uh, Jeff. Right, he's uh, uh, yeah, it's a seems like a nice enough guy, but um, he's you know triple convicted felon. By the time he got there, he already had the three felonies, I think. Right? Yeah, because he, he was on probation. Right. right. So, and he you know like twenty four or something. Yeah. he was a young guy. And with the three story felonies. arc for him is like he he was trying to get his his daughters back before they were taken away permanently. Because yeah. I guess his wife was also had drug problems. They they alluded to that like in in the when he when they had the scene where he was going to court, but. So he uh, he violates his pro. He leaves. Okay, he leaves the program after you know his. He does his whatever it is. How many months was he there? Maybe six months. He graduates the program. They put him in a Jacob's house sober living, which Doctor Blankenship created right next to Jacob's ladder rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a job driving. You know, driving, going, picking up new patients, bringing them to the rehab and so forth. He slowly kind of loses his center. He starts using again, violates his probation, winds up doing a 30-day stretch. The judge does decides not to send him to prison for like years, gives him 30 days. He comes out of the 30 days and he's begging his patrol officer, uh, parole officer, you know, don't make me stay in Morgantown because this is yeah. where... You know, I'll just going to end up doing drugs again. And the the probation officer is like, "No, you have to stay here. You can't go anywhere else." You know. Yeah. And he's like, "Go, go get a bed at this shelter tonight." You know. And Jeff's like, "Well, I could go two towns over and have a place to sleep." The guy's like, "No, you can't leave Morgantown." You know. So it's like, what is he supposed so to is, do? Is it, is it the rehab? Is it the the kindness at the rehab that's setting these guys up for failure, or is it like the other aspects of of this system that you know isn't um, nimble enough? to differentiate different people's needs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. You know, it's great to have this loving understanding um, rehab um, situation, but when they get into the real world with this stuff, there is no like extension of that system. 
you know, that's easy to find anyway. And especially, you know, of course, he's going to go back. The kid's 24 years old. He's a three-time felon. He's only clean maybe 30 days if he was mm-hmm. using right before. He's right back out there. Um, you know, of course, he's going to, you know, unless he's some miracle. By some miracle, he has a spiritual awakening, right? It's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. But people don't grow up overnight. Well, but, you know, I mean, Jeff had a especially rough time, I think, because he had all those criminal issues in yeah. his past. And they didn't really say what they were for and whether or not, you know, he, the punishment was warranted or whether, was in you know. shit shape. I mean, that that's an unusual scenario, though. I mean, of all the people I met in the different rehabs and things. Unknown caller. That's probably Jeff. Hey, how come I can't make it stop? I don't know. Okay. All right. Um... Unknown caller. <laughs> so, uh, oh, what yeah. I was saying. And cut back here and go. So, <laughs> so um, I didn't run into, a lot of the guys I met in rehabs were in trouble. They were fighting. They would call, oh, I caught a legal. They'd say, oh, I, I caught a gun caught charge. Caught a case. Yeah. They'd say, I caught a case as though it like, <laughs> you didn't do it. It happened <laughs> to you, you know. But he was in a particularly rough situation. Like, But you would think... And, and I think that's the thinking on the other side is, look, we put all of these the screws to him. We sit, tell him, listen, dummy, you drink again, even alcohol, you will lose your kids like permanently. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that is a major, major thing to, to happen to somebody. Like how is a 24-year-old kid struggling with opioid addiction, addiction not like how can he possibly succeed in that scenario? Well, you could ask the question of same question of any alcoholic or any addict who is faced with the prospect of losing their family, with losing everything, yeah. with losing their job, and people choose the booze yeah. and the the drugs every time. Over it's, the, it's not like they I want did it to; too. they just feel yeah I compelled mean, to. I did it too in a lot of different scenarios. I was facing jail time. I was facing losing everything. Uh, you know, going back to and for there were some, and that's a, what this documentary did for me is it kind of took me back into that mindset where I was that same guy. I was the one with the the probation officer violating me. I'd go back every week, I test positive again. What is wrong with you? You've got a nice family. Da, da, da. Like mm-hmm. what what do you need? What has to happen to you? Yeah, but judging somebody by that standard is so fucked because yeah. because if obviously <clears throat> if someone is picking drugs or alcohol over their family, you know, it, it's not really a choice. Because no one would choose that. No. Yeah. And no and one people, would willingly choose that. And they ask you, people would ask me all the time, how could you choose drugs over your children? And when I finally got wise, I said, if, if you're asking that question, you really don't understand yes, what's happening right. here. Because right. of course I would never do that. And that's not what this is. This, it sounds like a choice. It might even appear to be a choice. But let me tell you from personal experience, there is no choice involved. It's, a, it's like a survival instinct. You're compelled by your chemistry. Yes. You may choose the first few times. Yeah. But after that, the choice is sort of made for you. And yeah. I'm not saying you have no agency in, in the situation. But, you know, what would have helped a guy like Jeff and, I, and is, uh, you know... Uh, naltrexone or you know any any of these other drugs and they they made an allusion to some of these guys being on that yeah like for example that kid adam who um he was even younger uh he was addicted to heroin and you know he got sober through the program at jacob's ladder 
then went out and ended up living with his mother. Yeah. And he was, his mother was like, uh, they asked her how it was going, and she's like, well, it's it's okay for now. He's he's on the naltrexone, and uh, as long as I don't have to buy my TV back for a, a fourth, fourth time. time. I thought that was so <laughs> he funny. He can stay here as long as I don't have to buy my TV again, you know. Um, but anyway, so he's, he seemed like that, you know, he got, then he got a job Mm. and then he was able to function. His mother went off, bought him a pair of boots and he's out, you know, doing his thing. So it always sort of boggles my mind that AA and NA are are out there saying, uh, how, uh, that this is a disease, but they just don't want to treat it with medication. Yeah. And she said something, I actually wrote this on a note somewhere that I've now lost, but there was a really interesting thing that she said. And when she was talking about, you know, how disappointed she was and how, you know, he was back home with her and he looked completely out of it. And she said something like, well, he's on Suboxone now, you know, and I guess that's the, she goes, I guess that's the lesser of two evils. Right. And I was like, what in the fuck is this idiot talking about? This is a life-saving drug that it's not just a lesser of two evils. It's what's going to fucking save his life. And look at him. She's like, oh, and he doesn't have circles under his eyes. He's working. I'm like, what part of that sounds bad to you? <laughs> what, why is taking Suboxone on the same level as or, or close to using again? I mean, I'll tell you what. It saved my life. It probably could have saved that guy's life. But you've got people like the mother who has been you know, brainwashed or for some reason is thinking of this life-saving medication for a killer disease as a lesser of two evils? Like, what does she want him to be Superman and to magically become sober and abstinent? And it's absurd that there's this sentiment out there. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is the way Jacob Slatter does their recovery, but maybe the fact that uh, that Adam kept relapsing after finishing that program was they, they didn't have an avenue for medical intervention. No, you have you know? to stabilize someone... Uh, who is going through withdrawals so they can actually listen to and engage in recovery. There's no way, um, if any of you out there has, have ever you know, withdrawn from opioids, you, it's a nightmare. There's no way you can um, focus on recovery or even think about the mistakes you've made because it's impossible. Let me tell you, it's almost impossible. So to put someone on Suboxone sounds brilliant to me. Yeah. And it felt brilliant because now you're stable you're not worrying about which dangerous felon you need to call first to get your next fix. Mm-hmm. It's regulated. Hopefully you're with a doctor and it's monitored. And um, You can go to work. You can be a productive member of the I society. Just, and perhaps more importantly, it, it brings you to the place where you can start doing the like, work on yourself and untangle the other stuff. I just don't understand why it's treated like this is not recovery and this is some kind of failure. Like... This, it's this macho man bullshit that they do with uh, abstinence-based recovery sometimes that just drives me nuts, and it's killing people. Well, you remember uh, Michael Keaton, the doctor, he mm. played in uh, um, Dope Sick. You know, he got on Suboxone when he became addicted, and um, the AMA wouldn't give him his license back because he was on uh, an opioid to treat his, you know, an opioid agonist to treat his opioid addiction. It's just, you know, total and, idiocy. and it's just, it's, it is, it's total, it's total idiocy. Um, so, you know, you contrast the, like Jeff and his story, mm. three time felon and so on with the guy, Ryan, who about the same age, right. Um, 
Ryan was the kid who the played the guitar. Head. He was like a dead. He was like, oh, it's the guy with he the came in dead shirt. off the street. Yeah, right. They're like, exactly. oh, it's the first guy who's probably used an hour ago. And he looked like a mess. Yeah, he was in rough shape. Now he was a guy that I thought this guy has n- no chance. Yeah. you know, but he goes through the program. He goes to the a sober living that was not even associated with Jacob's Ladder. In it was in Morgantown, mm. and um gets a job in a brewery of all places yeah. like washing dishes. And I'm like, this guy ain't going to make it. it. But at the end of the documentary, he's got like 23 months sober and he's working as a, a counselor, a peer counselor uh, for other addicts and he's running meetings. So you never like, know what's inside <laughs> like, someone, right? You know? you know, like how did he do it? And a guy and Jeff didn't like, what you know? is the difference? Yeah. What, what are the contributing factors? I mean, who knows where these guys are now? You know, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I, you know, I don't want to give it away, but, you know, they, they all end up in different places and, and it's painful know. to watch. And, but, but, but at, at the end of the documentary, uh, you, you said earlier that, you know, the program didn't really work, but I mean, Ryan was sober at the end. Uh, Rush was sober at the end. Adam was on yeah. Suboxone at the end. So really, yeah. you know, it was maybe it did. And, and maybe this is, I mean, it, the truth is when we, we watch all of these documentaries and people's stories, the, the same answer keeps coming to me, which is there just is no one answer. And it's like treating people with compassion should just be number one. And treating this like a life-threatening illness, you know, maybe is number two um, with it. Um, and the rest, you know, we have to have responsible, dedicated, and thoughtful clinicians and support teams that um, can do the work to save this lost generation. It's just, um, yeah, so... It, I wonder how they're doing. It would be great to get one of these guys <clears throat> from Jacob's Ladder on the show. Yeah, I did a little, um, I did a little research. You know, where are they now? Kind of stuff, yeah. and I couldn't really come up with much. I mean, I, I started following Jacob's Ladder on uh, Facebook because they seem. I you know, I'm really pleased. You know, all, all the criticism of their NA and AA focus aside, I think the farm setting. Uh, is a great idea. Being out in nature is a great idea. I love that idea. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I wish I did something like that. I wonder if that would have worked for me. I just think there's more and more studies that show that the, the mental health benefits are just being in nature, yeah. you know? Being away. One of the best things about the rehabs I went to was, um, and also the most frustrating was, they just take your phone. Like, you don't see your fucking phone for till you get out. Mm. And it's a, it's a frustrating, but it was a freedom. It, a lot of rehab, when rehab finally worked for me, the last time, I was ready. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to accept everything they say. And I like, they made you wear this VIP tag looking thing. You know, it wasn't a VIP, just to say that you were a resident. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a couple of guys that didn't want to wear it. I, I'll never forget this because I was in such a different place than some of these guys, like mentally, because I, been there a few times and uh and i remember them going telling the counselor i'm not wearing i feel like cattle being marked and i and i was wearing it i'm looking at it and i go dude do you know what this gets you he's like what i go i can go to that you know the cafeteria i get three meals a day with this thing i can use the gym mm-hmm. i get a bed mm-hmm. my own bathroom uh, you know <laughs> i get free seminars i'm like this is like 
all-inclusive resort here. And, and it wasn't that nice, you know, right. so it was funny. <laughs> but the guy looked at me, he's like, yeah. He's like, I didn't think of it that way. And the counselor was like, look, look at you. Like, oh my God, this guy's nuts. You're reframing. I had to. I'm like, you know what? I'm exactly where I need to be and I'm going to enjoy it. I've got 28 days to uh, get some rest, you know, learn a, something new about myself. And uh, man, and the food was great. I mean, it was this, this big roly-poly named Bobby, who was the chef. And he always, I mean, you could probably have pasta shells for breakfast if you wanted. Nice. It was just like yeah. carbs and pies and shit. But, you know, it's all in how you frame it, you know. And But you were ready, man. I was you ready. were ready to I'm get like, better. This is fucking it. I did not want to yeah. sit through another seminar. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, you were motivated. You had your family, you had kids and stuff. There's some of these guys that come in, like these kids yep. in Jacob's Ladder. They come in, they got nothing. They got no, you know. But it's like they do and they don't. And it's like, how do you explain to a kid? Like, you have your whole life ahead of you. Mm. I was watching that guy rush, just working. Every scene they showed him, he was like working hard. Yeah. He was doing construction and he was had put so much into it. I'm like, that is a valuable member of any society Absolutely. he walks into. If he could just, you know, stay away from the, the demons. Like, these guys have a lot to offer themselves and their families. And it's like... How do you explain that to someone who's in that? It's well, like, because they don't have any self-esteem. And there's you no know, self-esteem. It's hard to get perspective when you're buried under it. And um, yeah. yeah, it's just an endless quandary. Everybody's calling us today. I know. What's Why can't I that? put my phone on leave me alone? Is that a setting? Yeah, there is a setting. Leave me alone. You usually have it on because I text you. It says DND. That's Nat, Nat is... Uh, Put his phone in you know, fuck off mode. Can uh, I tell you something about that? I never did that. And I was working constantly and talking to people, talking to you, to Dave, to like whoever's texting me at all times, my partner, the employee, whatever. So Noah like set up my phone so that it automatically DNDs, do not disturbs at like 630. <laughs> and I didn't notice it for a while. And I'm like, nobody's calling me. I'm like, huh, that's great. And it, he just kind of like <laughs> sneakily did it. So I would pay attention to what the hell was happening that's in my family. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, so now I'm in more control of it. Yeah. It, it gives me an option. Like Nat's phone is in fuck off yeah. mode. Would Can you like to deliver through? the message anyway? Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, I would fuck you. better fucking yeah. believe it. <laughs> I can't just get this guy to return a message anymore. No. Fuck. Yeah, definitely always push through. Um, but um, back to the documentary. It's just yeah, like... You guys um, should watch it. I would say I would definitely watch it because even if you don't feel like you could relate to being in that scenario, I know not everyone who listens was like, you know, a real bad drug addict, so to speak, but you can really... It's a really interesting look at where a lot of people are in their recoveries and, and you can really get a sense of the desperation. And if you ever think to yourself, how could somebody choose their children, you know, uh, or choose drugs over their children? It's like, it kind of gives you this, an insight into kind of where people's minds go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we're grateful to be able to look from a distance now, but I mean, it's a very real problem and it's, um, you know, it's it's great that there are these. Um, there's people like that doctor. And yeah. It remind me of Doctor Drew. He's another emergency medicine doctor mm -hmm. who then found himself as a yeah, recovery guru. I don't know. I looked at those kids and I, I'm like, I remember, I remember being like that. I remember thinking that, like yeah. that. You know, when I was really deep into the crack and stuff. Like I had, there was like I just could not. My my worldview was so distorted. My thinking yeah. patterns were so distorted. You know, and, and I look at these kids now with the benefit of all these years 
uh, behind me and I'm like, I recognize that thought pattern. Yeah. You know, and, and it's the same thinking pattern that you have when you have an alcohol use disorder. It's yep. just on a, on a smaller scale. You know, you still have these blind spots and things that other people can see pretty clearly. Yeah. You know, it's obvious to everyone, uh, obvious but to you. everybody, but you, you know, yeah, and you have these conversations when someone calls you out on it in your life, but like you're drinking too much. Well, what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and you're you think you're hiding it well enough that nobody yep. notices. Anyway, yeah. So go, so watch that. It's good. Recovery boys. Yeah. So um, I here I have an idea. Yeah. Let's take a short break. Yes. And be right back after these words. <laughs> And we're back. We are. Hi. 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 So we uh, we did a very quick uh, consensus and decided on what the story would be for. Recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery. Do you feel like a like a boomer musician that has been playing the same hit <laughs> for fifty years? Yes, and, but and I have love to it. inject the same amount of of excitement every single into time. Every performance, I put it in. It's like, every play time. Hotel California again, bitch! Yeah, <laughs> all right, <laughs> Philly. We got a new song for you. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to. We're going to play with- some of our own from our newer material. <laughs> uh, no. You suck. <laughs> See, it's fucking handcuffs, man. You, we can mm-hmm. never change that. You know that? Yeah. Never. I never you would. change anything else about the show but that. I was working on a rap metal version of it. I thought you would all like. <laughs> don't, don't fuck with success. <laughs> so, uh, interesting article uh, this week. Well, last week now. In Neoscope, mm. uh, apparently, new gene therapy... Ready for this title? Mm. New gene therapy dramatically reduces booze consumption in alcoholic monkeys. Oh. <laughs> we are entering oh. an era of gene therapy for neurological disorders. A team of scientists took a bunch of macaw, macaque. Can you say that? <laughs> I think it's my cock. My cock monkeys. Oh, there goes the Maca- CNN anchor job. <laughs> a team of scientists took a bunch of macaque. Macaque. Monkey. <laughs> Is it like M apostrophe cock? <laughs> uh, macaque. Right. It is? I don't know. Let me macaw. see. Wait, Let's macaw. Let's call it macaw. Monkeys. It's a macaw. No macaque. Monkeys. <laughs> Made them into alcoholics and then successfully weaned them off the sauce after injecting their brains with a special gene. <laughs> <laughs> An experiment detailed in a new paper published in Nature Medicine that could potentially provide a compelling new treatment for addiction. <laughs> Lesson, don't become a, if you're a macaw monkey, don't get caught by researchers. No. Because they're going to turn you into an alcoholic and then inject shit into your brain. There are not bananas in that white van, guys. <laughs> avoid, avoid, <laughs> run away. <laughs> Drinking went down to almost zero. Oregon Health and Science University professor and co-author Kathleen Grant told mm. The Guardian. 
For months on end, these animals would choose to drink water or just avoid drinking alcohol altogether. The researchers set out with the premise that continued alcohol use causes changes to neurons and hampers the dopamine reward circuitry in the brain. Mm. This we have heard from such luminary uh, scientists as Dr. Maya Zalovitz. Yes. Right? Rewiring. Yes. Anyway, what they did was they took a gene for protein known as a glial-derived neurotrophic factor with a termed a growth factor that enhances dopaminogenic neuro neuron function, whatever, and injected into a harmless virus to act as a Trojan horse. Jeez. They then plug this gene into a part of the brain associated with rewards. The experiment involved four hard-drinking macaw monkeys, which, like some humans, are predisposed to alcoholism, and then they tracked their consumption. Hmm. The results were astounding. The monkeys were producing an abundance of dopamine, and they cut their drinking by 90%. Wow. Not... Total abstinence, I might add. Not total abstinence. No. So they were still drinking a little? Basically, they went down to a reasonable one to two drinks a day from their hard living high of eight to ten drinks. I think they call that monkey moderation. <laughs> monkey moderation. <laughs> uh, the treatment is particularly intriguing because it's already been tested on humans, uh, on adults with Parkinson's disease. Mm. Oh, okay. They didn't find alcoholics people with Parkinson's and be like, you want to try this? Yeah. No, this is just, they tried treating Parkinson's, Parkinson's with. with this. Okay, I see. Uh, so this means the road to clinical trials to treat alcoholism in human patients could be smooth. Interesting, right? Yeah. Um, monkeys. Monkeys. They should have tried this on the recovery boys. <laughs> or I would like to see a show where they follow these monkeys in a house, kind of like the real world yeah. with alcoholic monkeys undergoing experimental research. <laughs> I think, and you can follow them to the barn dance, but instead of recovery boys, <laughs> it's monkeys. <laughs> I think this is gold. Yeah, it's perfect. I'm I'm looking for it what on Netflix. They, I mean, how do they get the monkeys to drink so much? Do they just like drop hard. off a case of beer in the cage? It's or? not hard to get a monkey addicted to alcohol. <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, it's true. I mean, primates are tend tend to be predisposed. Yeah. Um, Where do they get the alcohol? That's what I'm wondering. I assume they buy it at Seven Eleven, like everybody else does. <laughs> it's like they oh started, the monkeys. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure they provided alcohol by the researchers. It's like, it's like giving alcoholics alcohol and being like, but that's what try, that's the point. But these poor monkeys. Eh. What about their families? Thanks. <laughs> the monkeys choose the booze yeah. every time. Well, yeah. So, so what do you think about that in terms of? Um, you know, potentially medical, medically assisted treatment there. You think uh, AA is going to come out against that one too? I don't think we're going to be counting on AA to support, you know, um, medical breakthroughs in recovery. But um, it's always there as a nice social support along with your experimental <laughs> treatments. <laughs> you could just go to your AA meeting with your head wrapped in a bandage, you know, <laughs> like the, the gown from the hospital. Are you really sober if you've had glial proteins injected into your cerebellum? <laughs> but Dr. Bob and Bill W. never mentioned it. <laughs> Although, what did Bill say? <laughs> Didn't he say, like, maybe someday there'll be a pill? Until such time as there is a medication that can treat it, you know, we're screwed, basically. There is a pill. There is. AA people. That's there right. Is, there's pills. There's injections of glial proteins yes. into your brain. There's a Vivitrol program shot. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, big things happening in the world of... Monkey addiction. <laughs> yeah. That was a week and weird and uh, news all in one. Speaking of week and weird. Yeah. 
Well, listen, guys. Uh, where is it? This is spooky season. I'm currently working on a web series with my son Noah to investigate the house I grew up in with paranormal, um, you know, devices where you can track ghosts and things. Yeah, he mentioned this and when I was driving to camp. That's fascinating. We're, it's going to be. He's already done an interview with my mother, who has lived in the house since 1974, and her experiences. I'm going to get my experiences down on, and then we're going to go into the different areas where. The hauntings were noticed by hmm. different people. My Aunt Ruthie had some experiences uh, staying at the house. And um, I think it's going to be actually really cool. I'm a little scared to do a paranormal investigation in the house I grew up in because once you open that door, you can never close it. You should get a Ouija board and <laughs> try and interview the person who lived there in 1874. Well, we've got something close. It's called a spirit box. And we have... Some plan, so stay tuned for that. Did somebody on the internet talk you into laying out a few hundred bucks for something that measures weird radio waves or something? If uh, you mean somebody on the internet is Noah, my son, (laughs) yes. So look out for that. It's a spooky season, week in weird, limited series. Now I've just I just. Set you myself just up giving for that, yourself a I? whole shitload of so work. It, it's a, it'll be very cool. And uh, and if I don't get that on the show, Week and Weird is returning. So send your um, you know, what's your favorite Week and Weird topic? Because some people just got to have Bigfoot. Bigfoot, Bigfoot is yeah. generally the favorite. But let us know if you, you'd like to hear more about UFOs or drunk monkeys. We really should do uh, a mini episode or or a big chunk on the uh, the hearing, the congressional hearing that came out a little while ago by that guy yeah. who, who is That's uh, legit, man. Yeah, this stuff yeah. is coming out, y'all. Yeah, he was testifying that uh, the US had captured crafts. Yep. Crashed we have UFOs and then we have organic matter. We have re- dead aliens in a yeah. box somewhere. We have recovered uh, materials and things that they're yeah. working with. It's very interesting, but this is not recovery-related. It's weak and weird-related. So stay tuned, folks. All right. And thanks for bearing with us. Um, <laughs> I know I had a great time today. Did you? Yes, I did. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Currently uh, being worked on. Don't visit us there. Don't. <laughs> Podbean. You'll get a fucking virus on your computer, so don't go there. Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So, tweet us at what you twit. Support your favorite show. That's us. Drop a five-star review on wherever reviews are accepted. Um, and uh, join a private Facebook group. We're having a great time on the on the private Facebook group. It's are free. Um, it appears that people are enjoying themselves, <laughs> okay. and um, I like to check in there. Um, join us uh, on the Inner Sanctum, which is like our little private Discord chat group, and um, that's at patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And uh, Patreon, uh, a Patreon commitment the, at any level will get you access to the Discord. Yeah, and you know we're going to start when we get back into our flow. We're going to have the videos back up and the new shows. And I did want to say one more thing about um, to people, you know, fans and uh, everybody who's recovering with us. Um, I heard a lot of the of uh, reviews lately, and I've seen posts about people who are really working on on getting sober, and they're listening to the show. And I want you to know that we are here to support you and, you know, keep listening and you can always reach out to us. Mike and I will always write you back. And uh, it brought a tear to my eye. But seriously, guys, we love you. Keep working on it. It can only get 
better. We want you to be well. And Everyone needs to be well. Yeah, you know, we love you guys, and um, we just want you to be safe. And if you're struggling, and if you fall off the fucking wagon, it's, just get back on Get it. back on. Because no the ones that succeed you. are the ones that keep keep going, keep doing it. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you got something out of our show, and some of you have... Please share it with a friend. A couple of you. A couple. Two out of a thousand, maybe. Uh, And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Be good. Bye. Every day